You're listening to Show Pony Radio with your hosts, Sarah Patricia and Katie Joe. Because behind every buckle, there's a story. Hey, everybody. We are back, finally, after a very long hiatus. So we're here today with two um, eight people from AQHA. This is Aaron Bovos and Justin Billings. And forgive me, but I'm going to let you guys describe your titles with AQHA and what they are. Justin, say hi, and you start first. Howdy, I'm Justin Billings. It's, uh, first, I'd like to say it's an honor to be here with you all. Thank you for the opportunity. You're so welcome. So formal. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, first, I'd like to say I'm an AQHA Life member, and I have been since I was 12 years old. I grew up in the industry. This is what I love and my passion and what I enjoy doing. And not until about uh, two and a half years ago, I was not formally a part of AQHA as a staff member, but I did join the show team at that time, and I now serve as the senior director of shows. And what that means is that I work with the team in the show department that oversees 2,800 shows in 30-plus countries around the world and manages over 900,000 entries on an annual basis. So it's not just AQHA-owned shows, it's all of our shows? It is. So AQHA produces eight championship shows that are ran in-house, and then there's 2,800 shows that are approved more so on a franchise-style basis, what you would consider a weekend show, right. a, a circuit, or anything that's not produced directly by the association. So you're in charge of those two? We're, we're in charge of approving those and then overseeing the shows, judges, stewards, right. and then the results, making those official when the show's complete. So for you listeners, um, Justin's from Ohio, which is my part of the country growing up. So Justin's background is a Western pleasure, and not sure of your exact days, but we have to be close. We pretty much kind of grew up together. We did. So it's kind of cool now to sit down here and talk to you. It's um, full circle. Full circle, yes, sir. Aaron, how about you? What's, yeah. uh, tell us something yeah, about you. Absolutely. So good to see you, too. Sarah, Katie, great to see you both. He is, he is, he is kind you, of a dear friend of ours. <laughs> yeah. Like Justin, I, I want to say thanks, right? It's a great opportunity to be here um, this afternoon talking about AQHA, talking about um, what we're doing for our members. So I appreciate the opportunity and the venue. So um, like everybody in the room, right, I grew up showing, but a different breed, um, showed Right, the all-around growing up, transition to the quarters. In the apps. He might say in the Appaloosas. Yep, in the Appaloosas. So he and my husband Tim go way back. We do. We do, absolutely. And um, transition to the quarters and um, still really enjoy it. I think um, for a lot of us, including me, uh, when you think about the difference that horses have made in our lives and the impact that they've had, right, and how they've shaped and molded us into the people we are today, um, I have a lot to be grateful and thankful for from the horse perspective. And just because, uh, okay, give us your, your official title is? I am the Chief Financial Officer, and I also serve as the Chief Operating Officer for AQHA. So explain that, unpack yeah. that a little bit for sure, us. Sure, sure. So on the finance side, um, I manage um, a team who oversees uh, financial planning, um, the execution of our annual budget, our annual audit, financial reports. Um, on the operational side, I oversee the day-to-day operations. So um, really um, right, implementing, if you will, um, policies and procedures that the executive committee would set for us, um, and then ensuring that day-to-day operations run um, 
as well as they can. And you took this job in? I took this job in November of last year, so not quite a full year um, at AQHA. And it's been interesting? It's been fun. Yes. It's been a lot of fun, and it has been interesting. It's, um, I, I tell people that coming to work for AQHA is a great place um, to make a difference. Right? It's a um, tremendous opportunity to leave a legacy, to, uh, to change an organization for the better, um, especially with, um, on the operational or the finance side. So explain a little bit about your financial history or oh, how yes, you got this that. job because it seems like we heard that you love horses, but how does one just become the CFO and how, yeah. how did you land in this spot? This is super impressive. I, uh, <laughs> We're a little braggadocious about our awesome friend. Yeah, so I've, I've spent um, I spent the last 18, 19 years um, as um, CFOs for local governments and um, did that um, in Georgia, spent 18 years in Metro Atlanta, um, transitioned out of Metro Atlanta into um, a role at the city of Fort Worth um, as Fort Worth CFO and oversaw... Um, really a lot of the same functions. Very different scale. Fort Worth, um, we ran a $2 billion budget on an annual basis, a little over a billion in operations and not quite a billion in capital. Um, very heavily invested um, on the public securities market. So did a lot of fundraising um, from the perspective of selling debt on the open market and public securities. A little different, right, at AQHA than doing that piece. But um, so the current CEO, um, received my name as a recommendation to come to AQHA from one of the foundation board members, um, and, and Craig called, and um, here I am a year later. So compare, because you said that Fort Worth was very different, yeah. the billion dollar scale, how much different is AQHA and what kind of role is this compared to your past? I mean, it's got to be a little bit different. It is, for sure different. So the function is not different at all. Right, meaning stay out of debt, make a profit type yeah, thing. <laughs> debit credits, right? Balance sheets, income statements. That core piece is absolutely still the same. Um, I think the difference, quite frankly, is scale. Um, and and when you get um, into an organization, so you know Fort Worth had eleven thousand employees. Um, you know AQHA has two hundred and eighty-seven. Right. So so just from a scale perspective on employees, but when you when you get to an organization that's that large. There are a lot of resources to be able to get goals accomplished. Um, not to say that that isn't true for AQHA, sure. um, but there, there's just a different capacity, right, in the, in the number of people who are able to help on projects. So you work in the office there too? I do. And you, yep, you run on. Why does anybody ever answer the phone? <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, leave a callback number where you can be reached. If yeah. you call after three, we won't yeah. call you back till tomorrow. Going <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you can't get anybody on the phone. Well, we could get you, but that's not fair. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, all I ever hear is um, I called AQHA and I was on hold for two hours, yada, yada, yada. What's, the, what's going on there? Yep. So let's talk about that. Um, so the first thing I want to say is. On October 1st, we launched a new really structure around um, what we call member experience. And we merged two departments into one department um, over a weekend, um, created uh, the largest department at AQHA, a little over 100, almost 110 employees, um, and changed the structure of how we answer the phone. So previously, right, if you think about the, the operation, we had a call center 
And then we had people who actually process transactions. Right. So they would say, welcome to AQHA, working with transfer too. Right. Right. Um, And they would try, right, their best to answer the phone. But when you think about some of the complexities, um, good or bad, that we've built into the rule book, um, it becomes very difficult to be um, accomplished enough that you could answer any inbound phone call um, from the perspective of shows to this perspective of a registration to DNA, right? So it it was taking us a, a really long time to build um, and provide employees the skills that they needed to be able to effectively do that. And so now we've merged those two departments. Um, they are organized by business line. So, right, the four of us could be on what's called a transfer pod. So we're not only processing transfers, but we're answering all the inbound phone calls for transfer. That's how it is now, or that's how it was before? That is how it is now. So theoretically, we could call and get one of you two on the phone? Yep, you can. Um, so there's a couple different options. So I actually, right before I came in, um, had the had the pleasure of looking at call statistics from last week, um, and w- and we've changed what what's called the IVR recording, which is the recording that you would actually hear when you call. Right? Oh, the one I, I just made fun of. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to really better align with the organizational structure and then what customers need, right? Um, hold times um, range anywhere from 12 seconds to 4 minutes, and 4 minutes was our longest. Oh, good. And that's since October 1st. It is. Since October and you 1st. also have other languages I saw now, We right? do, yep. So we've deployed a couple new technologies, right? One is a, a function called Language Line. Um, so anybody can call, um, and we can third-party person, right, call a third-party in, um, and they can speak any number of languages to help, right? And so um, we use them as translation services. Um, DocuSign has been a big piece of what we've done over the past couple weeks, and major, major difference, right? Yeah, DocuSign's awesome. To to get our documents. You know, I I will say, in addition to kind of the new um, inbound line, we also really created, if you will, the ability for customers to call departments directly, right? So shows... Right. If you want to call shows and talk to somebody in shows, you actually can dial a different number that is published on our website. Oh, that's right. Contact yeah. us. Oh, so you, you skip all the middleman. You don't even have to go right through the whole process of listening to the recording and selecting an that's option. That's right. And that's all part of October 1st new. That is. Yep. So, um, you know, racing has their own line. Shows yeah. has their own line. Right. Every department um, really has direct contact. In addition to that, one of the new things on uh, the recording is that you can press an option and actually dial by name, right? So if you didn't know my phone number, right, call the 4811 number, dial by name, and you're going to get me. So if you've been dealing with a person and you didn't get their extension, you can find them again type thing. That's exactly right. I think, so, so along with that, right, let me say that, that we agree there's been some challenging whole times. I, I don't want to no, sure. not address, right, the fact that we don't agree with that. Um, we absolutely do agree with that. And... Um, you know, for us, it, it's really a matter of how we change the member experience when they're interacting with us. We've had a really hard time in requiring members to do business with us where we are versus us trying to meet the member where they are, right? And there's a okay. huge distinction in, so um, you know, how you do that and how we focus our efforts um, in an organization and in an industry, right, that... Um, deserves a, a different level of um, service, to be quite frank with you. You know, we all live in a world of Amazon, right? You can hop on your phone at 7.30 in the morning while you're having coffee, 
um, even on a Saturday or Sunday, and you can have your items delivered by four o'clock that afternoon on your on your front porch. And you know, when we talk about that internally, and we talk about that level of service, um, we acknowledge right that we we have plenty of opportunity. And along those same lines, too, the the turnaround on things like transfers is so slow. Hopefully, this same thing will make all that better too. Yep. So. So we, we have had great support from our um, executive committee, our current CEO, to really establish what we call performance benchmarks. Who's your current CEO? Craig Huffine. Craig Huffine. Yep. And right now, while we haven't met the goal, we have a goal that on average, all of our transactions that come into um, the operation are turned in 10 days. Um, and so that's the performance standard that all of the employees on the new department are um, held to. And this is also new since October 1st, like everything. So you essentially hit the reset button October 1st. We did. A massive reset button. Um, acknowledge, right, that we're not there and that okay. we've got to work to get there. I think, you know, you, again, you go back to the world of Amazon and you think about, you know, 97% of our transactions are done on paper. Yeah, I have two questions about this so yeah. far. So yeah. I'm just going to... Yeah, go for it. Okay, so... One, aren't you worried about old cowboys that aren't in the Amazon age because that's a giant makeup of your demographic? Of course. Yes. So, but let's meet the customer where they are. Right? So let's meet the customer who wants to do a transfer on their phone. Okay, so you'll right? accommodate that. So the let's, World Show, for example, only sent email entries. What if you're an old cowboy that yeah. doesn't have email? Where are my world show entries? I get a packet in the mail. I fill it out. I send it back. Sure. No, I think you're exactly right. And, and I think that's all part of defining who our customer is, the demographics of our customer, and how they want to do business with us, right? It, it's There's a huge difference in providing an avenue and requiring somebody to use it. And I'm not suggesting by any stretch that we would you would have to do it online, right? But what I am saying is, um, for us, even in, in testing the models that we've built, um, you can auto-complete a transfer using technology that's available, right? So, you know, you hypothetically could get on, complete a transfer, provide all of us the information that we need through the member portal, and that would never have to touch a human being. But that's a 24-hour turn for us to get that transaction out the door. That helps everybody. That well, helps it's more everybody. efficient for it sure. It is. That's exactly right. And do you have to pay for this online? It won't be. I mean, right now, it won't. there's no price difference in paper, Right versus online transactions. What, what I will say is that we're still in the infancy stage of building all of that, um, but it's just important to knowledge, acknowledge sure. that that's, that's really where we're headed. I suppose my concern comes that the onus is then on those people that don't use technology to call or to initiate some kind of conversation about where are my entries, how do I do this transfer, because the old options are no longer. Yeah, I'll say this is kind of a two-part thing about this for me. Most other businesses by now have kind of outgrown the old generation, and I think this is one of the few that I still sort of have to keep it in mind. Yep. But I'll say this, I do think that my dad's a great example, because he can barely text. <laughs> <laughs> but what he can do is call me or one of his customers, you know, or Judy or somebody, and maybe at this stage at least get to it. So I think there's a little bit of that too. I think that's right, and if you want to modernize, you have to. I just worry about meeting in the middle a little bit. Like, yeah, let the them transition. know as much as you can that this is where we're headed. Don't get left behind. Right. Find somebody. Yeah, I don't. I don't want you to think of it as getting left behind, right? Because I want. I want you 
I want you to think about for the customer who wants to do it electronically, they can. And I want you to think about for the customer who wants to send in a transfer form and the original registration certificate, they can as well. Okay. I think the difference is, um, one, right, the electronic will be able to complete a lot faster. The paper, right, the, the new process as of October 1st is that when I touch a transaction, right, inside the member experience department, I own that transaction to completion. So if there's anything wrong that I need to follow up with, right, I am the owner of that transaction. So the accountability I, is probably very important. That is. That is absolutely correct. And the, the team, right, now versus generating a letter, right, or leaving that transaction to follow up on, you know, for a future day, is required to pick up the phone and do oh, an outbound so call. that's great. Because we always register a couple babies and inevitably one of them goes wrong. Yeah. And then a couple months later, not, not a couple months, a couple weeks later, we get a letter. Yeah. And then we respond, and they say, well, mail a letter. Right. And you're like, no, no. Right. Well, the same thing with shows, probably, if someone shows a horse in the green, it's not green. You know, you could just pick up the phone and say, hey, your points don't count, rather than, you know, sending maybe. a letter. Yeah. Because sure. if you're accountable for processing the points, maybe you would clue in right away. First meeting the customer where they're at. Will that help you, too, Justin, as far as your your shows and running them and doing all that? Will that make your job easier too, or is this sort of separate? No, I think it's a it's part of the overall thought process of making it easier to do business with AQHA. So our customers nowadays, Aaron mentions Amazon, any number of businesses that you interact with, you interact with online. So carrying that to the show side of AQHA and offering online entries, offering the convenience of an app through your phone where you can enter shows, check out, check your point standings, sure. and potentially leave a horse show and see your standings updated as you're driving home from that horse show you're at. All those efficiencies that we could take advantage of to make the experience better, more enjoyable for the customer. Okay, so this is a modernization effort. Yeah, it's an efficiency, effectiveness effort, right? You know, we were talking earlier about a pleasure horse of 20 years ago. Think about, right, how, how, how they have changed, right? And continuous breeding, right, have developed a different horse than, than you have today. Doesn't mean the horse of yesterday was bad, right? Doesn't mean we still don't value those horses. It was the best horse of that day. That's exactly right, right? But they evolved, right? Sure. And they changed, yep. and they got better. And I think all organizations have a responsibility to evolve and to get better. So can you touch on some of your key goals and objectives? Like, we talk about this transition period a lot. We get emails saying that AQHA is experiencing this transition period. We're getting to something better. In my mind, that's what transformation means. We're here now. We're moving to something better. So explain what your goals are. What are the key points that AQHA is, you know, aiming for? Yeah. So, so let me say this. The principles are pretty simple. You think about it. The principles of taking care of a customer and providing a customer a great experience, right, right, that's a simple principle. That's a business right. strategy. Well, yes, but, but think about we're in an association where it's an option to be a member. We all spend a lot of money in this hobby, this is our in this sport. Mm -hmm. And if you think about if you're a cook or you're a chef and you need to go to the grocery store and you have a horrible experience at the grocery store. Right? Never go back there to that grocery store. Right. But you're coming back to AQHA, which we appreciate in this period of transition. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do better. We have to provide an avenue for the people who are passionate about this industry to do business with us and want to do business with us versus feel like they have to do business with us. 
So I think that's the, that internally is the culture change um, uh, that we are really striving for. Um, that means a lot. That means development of technology. That means development of customer service skills. That's applying the technology. I to mean, the at the risk of, of sounding blunt, I'll be blunt. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> you know, growing up, AQHA always felt like a group of elitists. And it was a little hard to approach. And they kind of, instead of being a, a, a ship that helped me get where I wanted to go, they always wanted to. It was an obstacle. It was an obstacle. Yeah. You know? But it's and, still that way sometimes. And it it, well, of course it is. We're not done yet. But yeah. it, it also came from a place of authority. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just don't know. I don't know that that's appropriate. I mean, obviously, AQHA has the ability to try and keep our horses safe and try and keep us from making things harder for others. It feels like this pseudo reset button, everything's getting more positive. Like, I find you guys both, and that's kind of, maybe I just know you guys too, so I find you more approachable, but um, you guys and uh, Norm, so approachable. And that's a breath of fresh air for me, because in the past I felt very, well, like nobody wanted me to approach ever. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Not that it's ever AQHA versus NSBA, but NSBA has always been so approachable. You know, and it always felt like what made NSPA strong for a while was that I think a lot of us horse trainers felt abandoned by AQHA. Yep. And, you know, kind of like if you tell your little boy he's a bad kid every day, eventually they become bad kids. Yeah, they believe it. They believe it? Yeah. Um, and so we were over here kind of getting kicked a little bit by AQHA, and then you know, over here NSPA is still positive. And so it feels like maybe... Even with AQHA's presence at the NSBA banquet for the first time since I can remember, you know, it was a pretty big, and it was nice. Right. And that was, that made me feel better. You guys sitting down here talking to me, you know, I think maybe Justin, I talked to you about it first, um, and you didn't hesitate. You were like, no, you're right, let's talk. But moving on, let's, you want to say something? I think that's an excellent point. I mean, AQHA and NSBA should complement each other. They're not competitors. They're, they're sisters. They're, they are. And they're stronger together. Sure. I think, though, that's a different perspective than I think we've had in the past. Right? I think... That's important. It, well, no doubt. It's important. I, I agree with that. But I, I think we've got to stop thinking about organizations as competing with one another, right? Or being... Right. At, at the end of the day, AQHA isn't going to be successful if our members aren't successful. And our members can't be successful if AQHA isn't successful. So there's a symbiotic relationship that we... Say symbiotic? Yeah. Symbiotic. It's a very fancy word. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, so simpatico. That we need, right, to just acknowledge and develop, right? And we need it as a team, right, and in a, as an industry to figure out how we're going to do that and move forward. And that doesn't mean... Right, the Appaloosas and the Paints and the NSBAs sure. and whoever, right? We're not the at each other. And the cutters, we all have to be successful. That's what I was going to say. The NSBA is only one prong of what AQHA right. really has to deal with. They have to deal with the NCHA, the NRHA. I mean, yep. it's just one And along those lines, too, the, the, the economy and the world is changing in such a way that there's, it's so much easier for kids to do everything else besides this. Yep. You know, and we're competing. So I always tell people, especially young horse trainers that come to me, we're competing with boats and four-wheelers, you know, ATVs, the sure. peach, 
you know, people, you have to make people want to choose this hobby over other hobbies. Um, and so the reality of it is, even though it's a lot of work, it has to be fun too. Absolutely. And so there's always that, you know, we need to work hard and yada, yada, yada. Which brings me to something, Justin, I'll hit you with this. Why is the world so, so boring? <laughs> Can't you help us with this? We go every year. I mean, we are. Oh, we're there because we have to go, but, you know, I mean. We can, we can say all we okay. want. We're still there. This is not me preaching to you, but I think back on the most fun horse show ever in the history of horse shows was the Riker. And the reason that it was fun was because it was fun. The announcer was exciting. There was a party every day outside. Um, nobody was, it was a fun atmosphere. Nobody was judging anybody, you know, and, and I. Okay, but is a futurity class the same as a world show? Yes, I think so. I mean, is a reigning futurity class the same as the world show? I mean, it's all relative. I guess the reigning futurity has parties and all that stuff too, so. Tell about the world show. I think you have to go back to what we started with, and we talked about the, the pleasure horse in particular evolving. And I think that show, in time, has to also evolve. So we're in, we have a different clientele than we did years ago when the World Show first started. Also years ago when the World Show started, there weren't other associations or alliance partner championship events. So it was the only, game, the point. only yeah. game in town. So. The World Show had that special feel because it was the only championship show at the time. Maybe I'm just an old school girl, but it still has the same feel. Yeah, she loves the World Show. It, it's my favorite show as well. I, I I'm enjoy itching. It. I, I just want that trophy so bad. The feeling you get when you trot down the center of the arena and then you walk out holding one of those globes, you can't reproduce that anywhere else. I agree, and that's why we go back because we all sure. want to feel that. That's why we go back. We sure. do. So we could take a look at some of the aspects you mentioned from the Riker at the parties and the excitement and, and how we can incorporate that into the World Show. But the World Show does still have a specialness to it. Oh, for sure. It's very elite. Like, you just feel like you're there for that reason. That's all you want. I think that the level two stuff softens it a bit. Well, it In a good way. To, In a good way. Yeah, because, you know, you have the, the purpose of the World Show is to be the best of the best. But the problem with the best of the best is we only want to bring our best horses. And if you're not from Oklahoma and Texas, you have to come halfway across the country with two or three horses. Sure. And that's financially crippling. By definition, it's hard. How do you make that work? Well, and, and here's the thing for me. Like, I remember two years ago I brought, brought two horses. And I stalled with Rusty and them, and that was fine. But no matter how much I bill Sarah and my other customer, it was staggering. I didn't make a dime, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't know what the, and that's not necessarily a QHH job to fix that. I just don't know what the. Well, I think incorporating the level one stakes was a genius idea. Totally. Because then you can bring a whole other group of horses that aren't qualified. Yep, for sure. And, and the versatility was a good idea, and I think a step in the right direction for where I hope the Western Pleasure Horse goes. I know I'm not. I'm not alone in that. There's a group of us that think that should and, and, and shouldn't. That's another, that's another topic. But um, I think that's good. You know, I, I think we're bringing a lot of things together. I just like to see it be more fun. Does that, am I, am I, do you guys feel that or no? 
I think we have that in the different championship shows. So you have that feel at the level ones where it's very welcoming, very yeah, very much so, very grassroots driven. And, and the yeah. entries are extremely high at those shows, right? They they're are. Off, they're the, off the charts. They've been split into four because they're so big. Right. So you have an exhibitor leaving, crying the arena, holding a 15th place ribbon. Or you don't necessarily get that at the world show. It's it's just that elite group that wants that gold trophy. So we have that in different aspects of the other championship shows, but we have to come up with a way to capture that at the world show so that you do leave sure. with that excitement and that specialness, but also having a good time. I guess right. the only comparator, the only real comparator would be the NSBA world where it's not a qualifier, right? I mean, Well, the difference is the NSBA world has so many different classes. Like there's the intermediate and the limited and the open and all that stuff. And so it's more of a Riker atmosphere in that there's kind of something for everyone. And I know for sure in the old days, the thing about the World Show was they wanted it to stay prestigious. Well, with the word prestigious sometimes comes the elitist mm -hmm. feel. I don't really think there's anything wrong with that if we're just reserving that show for those horses. No, but you also got to remember that we're trying to keep it big. That's a limiting factor, though. You have to accept it's that. A, it's, it's a, a trade-off. Right. It's a tough balance to get right. It's, right. A very, it's a very extreme trade-off. So you either lower the qualifying points where people want to take a shot, or you accept the fact that the people that do qualify and are going to spend the money to go have a really serious horse, and that's about it. Personally, with, with reference to the qualifying points, I think it's a terrible idea. The Paints did it and the Apps did it, and it just didn't work for them. made the world so smaller. So I've done it for forever. Yeah, but I mean, it just didn't work. Right. So I just right. don't think that the one good thing that we have, especially, I guess, Aaron, with you, my, my campaign with you, we have another kind of example of, of, of things that have happened over here that haven't haven't worked. Right. Well, I'd be interested right. to hear Aaron's perspective because I bet there's a connection between people that are willing to show to horse shows, get the qualifying points, and how the economy is doing. There's probably a strong correlation. Oh, of course there is. Of course there is. I, I want to go back, though, to something that you guys were talking about. I think we have to be careful when we talk about horse shows and defining fun, right? I, I, and maybe maybe that's the wrong word or words to use. I think we can make a horse show fun, right? And still have it mean something. I hope so. Right? Yeah, I hope so too. Right? I think it should This be... horse show that we're sitting at right now, we're at the Congress. This horse show's both. Right. I, I you think... get serious when you have to be serious and you can let loose when you can let it, loose. Exactly. And I think, I think that's the piece, right? That, and Justin would certainly know more on the, on the competition side than I would, but I think the, the camaraderie, the atmosphere, the fun, right, is a piece that I would like to see us change mm -hmm. to, to the extent that um, you can, right, go to a horse show and talk about, you know, we've joked about asking people as they're driving out of the horse show, what, what's the one memory you remember most about the event? It has little to do with what they do in the show pen most right. often, right? Right. But if we're not providing that avenue, Right, right. For them to have a great time and the venues for them to do that, um, then, then we've missed Something's the boat. Missing. Something's yeah, we've missed the boat on member experience. Right, member experience isn't just sitting in the office answering the phone. Member experience is what do we create for the members, right, that allow them to want to come back. Well, and also from your part, I'm sorry, Sarah. Um, member experience is um, having an approachable staff. Yes. Yes. Having somebody I'm not afraid to walk up to and say, "Hey, you know, look." And I think you guys are making that a lot better. You know, being approachable is key. Again, back to the NSBA thing. I, 
I mean, every time you call them, somebody answers the phone. I know it's a smaller deal for sure. the kid, but still, no, it's... you know, you they answer the phone and they're mm-hmm. there. And if I mess up my wheelchair stalls or you know at the AQHA wheelchair, the attitude, frankly, has been sorry you're smoked. And at the and this payroll show, I call and Nicole answers, and I'm like, Nicole, I'm super sorry, I miscounted. Here's my credit card. Hey, no problem. You know, and I, I don't know if that's not because I was an AQ, I wasn't an AQHA professional horseman, or wasn't in the AQHA club. Maybe I'm just 36 now and I'm not 25. <laughs> I don't know, but I, you know, it feels it feels better. Well, here's my thing as someone that's paying money to go to horse shows. I'm going there to win a trophy, but if I don't, I would way, way rather be able to tell myself the staff was wonderful to me. Absolutely. They were nice to me when I checked in. Absolutely. I got my numbers. I had great stalls. My bedding showed up on time. My horse was, was totally taken care of. The footing was great. Yeah. Rather than feeling like it was a burden for them to take care of me for Absolutely. paying a boatload of money to be there. That's exactly And be 10th place. That was the worst show, right? Didn't you got that? was you, right? It was great. So it's just part of the whole experience, you know? It is. It's absolutely part of the whole experience. You've had two different kinds of horses. You've had the one that you wanted to win on that could win. You've also had the one that was just a really nice horse that was a good investment for us. So I don't... There's certainly a group of people that that leave without a trophy and they didn't have a good time. They're going to be pretty miserable. So I, I guess I agree with you. I guess I'm just saying round the bases and make yeah, sure right, that sure. even if it goes bad, they're still okay. Well, the and they're going to go back again. Yeah. The question is, why would we not? Right. Why would you not? Why would we not <laughs> right. create that environment, <laughs> right? right? It, it doesn't hurt, right? And, and if you still don't enjoy the horse show, that's okay. But we've created an environment, right, such that it allows you to do that. That's a wonderful point. Yeah, that's good. That so actually long, makes me feel good that you guys actually think that way. Yeah. So along this point, give me some numbers. Give me some demographics because I used to always have an argument that was like, I'll just give it to you. And Aaron told me I was wrong and told me why, and it made sense to me. <laughs> I used to always say, you know, there's no way that, AQHA is not making more money on the show horses, the show horse side of it, than they are the trail riders and the performance horses. Because every time you open America's horse, all you see is trail riders and performance horses. You mean the cutters and the rainers? Yeah. Oh. Cutters, rainers, the performance side of it, the ropers, and the trail riders. Ranch riding. And right. And I'm, that's all fine. <laughs> but the ranch riding even is on our side of it. And so for me, I don't see NRHA giving AQHA any money for any of their horse shows. That I know of, nor the cutting shows or the you know what I'm saying. So I don't understand why that's gonna come out bad. I feel like we're the whipping boy of AQHA. Like every time you open the journal, or every time you read America's Horse, it's never about the show horses. I mean, I, I don't do showmanship, but the showmanship's giant. Huge. And no matter what kind of horse you have, you can do it. Right. And every time somebody enters a AQHA class, AQHA makes money on it, no matter where it is in the country. So it was my understanding that just the show horses in general, all of us, the blanket AQHA weekend horse show, AQHA makes money on that. So why are they putting all their eggs in this other basket that they don't, I mean, except for transfers and registrations, to my knowledge, they don't, they don't get any revenue or money or anything back from an NRHA event. So why are we always talking about the ratings? They do have sanctioned AQHA classes at the Derby, but I, that's the, and maybe NRBC, but I think those are the only shows I know about. I mean, am I, am I wrong about this? I just feel like AQHA horse shows, even when you go to a weekend 4-H show, you know, they all are working to get to the big weekend AQHA shows, you know, and that's, 
to me, that's the foundation of it. And I'm going to go a little sidebar here. Also, I think the reason that the Western Buzzerworks comes over the most, under the most scrutiny, everybody can lope circle in their backyard. And so we get the keyboard warriors and the angry moms and the yada, yada, yadas. We get the most complaints. I'm not saying we don't have problems. But we get the most complaints also because we have the biggest base. Like, everybody at a 4-H horse show does the Western Pleasure or the Hunter Under Saddle. Right. Maybe by a different name there, but everybody can do that. And so everybody feels like an expert, and so everybody comes here and they watches those classes. You know what I'm saying? And so I just I feel like we get the most complaints because we get people. Not everybody has a jumper. Not everybody has cows to rope or, or cut. Not everybody has a horse that slides and spins. But everybody has a grass area they can lope a, a circle on a horse. So along those same lines, I don't understand why if our biggest base does this, why isn't there more focus on this? And by this, I don't mean Western Pleasure. I mean all-encompassing horses. Horsemanship, yeah. trail, Western riding. Right. Like, I saw a, sh a showmanship horse on the cover of America's Horse Last. Horsemanship, it was one of those. I was, I was honestly shocked. Shocked enough that I went in the house and I was like, look, you guys, we made America's Horse, one of us. Why is that? What's the... Is it just a culture? So, you know, I'll jump in. And I'll... I'll I'm going to respond to that probably a little differently than your question. And, and what I'm going to say is you have to have good data to make decisions. Okay? And we have not had good financial data in order to make well-informed, educated decisions. Okay? So... We balanced a budget in fiscal year 2019. We contributed half a million dollars back to reserves. We will present a budget to the executive committee in two days. That's a balanced budget, right? The difference in the balanced budget that they will receive in two days is that we've actually broken down that budget by activity, okay? So if I want to see... Explain activities. Okay, yep. So, so it's not anymore just about balance sheet accounts and income statements. It's about what drives balance sheet and the income statement. Where's the money coming from? And where is it going? And not only where, but how much does it cost us to process a transfer? Right? How much does it cost us to process a membership? Or manpower. How many people does it take to? Well, that's exactly right. Cost? Yeah. So, so we're, we're actually, for the first time, tying income streams to the expense Right. And being able to analyze right, where we have profits and losses, and we haven't been able to do that before. Well, that should help significantly. It, it will help significantly. I know that's not the answer to your question. Well, but it, it actually but, goes along the same lines. Like, I'm not a math person, but I don't see any of the other, the other genres besides show horses putting any money back in AQHA's pocket after they're registered. Right. Right. And so I, I think... I think that, right, and we actually had this conversation the other day, I think that kind of conversation and looking at membership participation, right, adding, right, from membership participation revenue and expense, right, allows us then to focus efforts internally on things that are really driving not only membership, but, right, the financial piece of it. And I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that we should be making a massive profit. No. Right, but we should be making enough to sustain the organization, right, yeah. and to put money back into the breed and the industry that allows us to really accomplish our core mission. Justin, you have something you want to say? Core mission. What is the core mission? Hold on, let's go to Justin first. 
I think, that's a good thing. Uh, core mission is next. <laughs> I, I echo what Aaron just said, and I think it's adding value to the members. So I, I think it's taking a look at the data and seeing where the trends are. Is the, the majority of the membership showing? Where it where is the 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 drivers from the business coming from? Because right now we have a feel, but we can't say with certainty. So we feel like it's coming from shows, but is it really? Is it coming sure. from other areas of the business? Until we can put that on paper and say with certainty, you, you, you're just going off a feel, and I don't think that's the proper way to run a business. Okay, so there was this big thing on, on I guess, Facebook, social media, about um, moving to Fort Worth. Tell us about that. Sure. How, how long have they been in Amarillo, AQHA? Since 1940. Yes. So, so here's the here's the here, here's where we are with that. I think we have to remember that the discussion about where Amarillo or where AQHA is located, Amarillo or Fort Worth, has been a discussion for 79 years. Right? Started in Fort Worth, moved to Amarillo, and ever since the day it moved to Amarillo, it's been a discussion. Who was from Amarillo that made it go to? There was an executive vice president that had business in Amarillo and agreed. Of course, this is back when it first started. I know this is funny and it's good history, actually. <laughs> How do you know this? It's um, <laughs> from the beginnings. There's an AQHA video that we show at the show management workshops that talks about this. <gasps> okay. So it started in 1940 in Fort Worth, and there was a gentleman that agreed to serve as the executive secretary, the executive vice president, but he had business in Amarillo. And he only agreed to do so if the association would move to Amarillo. Sort of like NSPA being located in Gurney, Illinois. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> is there that go. where Mama Diane lives? What a familiar tale. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't, it, isn't Gurney G? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> hence the move to Amarillo two years after it started. So really it was just arbitrary that it moved in the first place. There's no real reason. Yeah, it doesn't matter why it's there. Just no, I'm just saying it was now. a matter of convenience. So it's okay if it sure. moves back. So now we're talking about moving to Fort Worth. What, is, what does that entail? Where are we with that? And then the next question will be, let's pretend it happens. How is it going to go down? Okay. So there's been um, discussion ever since. So since 1942 when it moved back, there's been discussion of it going to Fort Worth where it all started. So this has been an ongoing discussion for 79 years. Recently, there's been some stakeholders who have um, taken interest in um, moving the association to Fort Worth and have started fundraising efforts to do so. So the, um, the conversation has been elevated, and there are, um, between where we are now and what it would take to, to move 287 employees to Fort Worth, multiple business units, there has to be a lot that would happen in order for that to take place. Um, one such thing is it's in the bylaws that we're in Amarillo the capital it would take to move an association outside of Fort Worth, that size of Fort Worth, is enormous. And of course the timeline, I mean, what, what, what is it going to take to get building permits approved, land approved? So you couldn't just move into Fort Worth? And let alone migrating your entire infrastructure at the right. same time. That's exactly right. So it's, it's a big jump. There is. It, if it, you decide to do it. Correct. Is there an economic impact statement about what AQHA does for the city of Amarillo? Do they want you there to stay there? As the former CFO of Fort Worth, I bet Aaron knows a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so there has been there there has been multiple discussions with the city of Amarillo. Um, Fort Worth, 
No, Amarillo. And, and Amarillo. Oh. I'm talking about staying. Did they want them oh. to stay? Yeah, yeah. So, so both sides. Ironically, you know, the mayors of both cities um, are very strong mayors. They're great, great women in their own right. And are They're both very, women? Are very good friends. Wow. Yes. Interesting. So, Fun so, political facts about Texas. Yes, that's exactly right. So Mayor Price, um, right at, at Fort Worth, um, you know, very passionate about the horse industry, very passionate about the culture that Fort Worth really has built around the Western heritage. And so, yeah, there, there have been discussions on both sides. There have not been what I would consider to be a business plan that's been developed. I think it's important to remember that staff is really at this point not involved in the fundraising efforts and in um, the plan and the process, right? So. You know, as Justin said, there are some external stakeholders who are currently doing a fundraising um, to raise money, capital, to, to build a new building. Um, what I can tell you that happened is on um, October 15th, the mayor and city council of Fort Worth were briefed on, in a public meeting, were briefed on a 99-year ground lease on a piece of property that the city owns. And should that ground lease be approved on October 29th, then the AQHA will have a leasehold estate. Ten days from now? Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll have a leasehold estate in a piece of property um, on the Will Rogers Memorial Campus um, that should they decide and should the fundraising efforts be successful, they will be able to build a new building. I have a question about that. So the Select World was in Fort Worth this year. Is it in the long-term plan to move all world shows to that facility if AQHA is there? No. Okay, had to ask. Nope. In fact, we have a... No, it's not. That would be a youth world throwback, but okay. Yeah, that's where I grew up, Sean. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Good, Good times. Good times. <laughs> no air Vermont is gone, huh? It is, thankfully. I'm the best. <laughs> Many a youth team parties there. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And then I would guess once you're there, would you get to make money on other venues that are held there if you lease the whole place? So it's not it's not a leasehold on the entire campus. It's a leasehold on a piece of property um, that's actually located on Gandhi Street, which is um, right outside of the new arena, on the new Dickies Arena. Yep. I'm across from the Amon Carter Center. Okay. And so then you would assume control of the facility if that was to happen? No that, no, that is not included in the lease at this point. Interesting. Okay, so back to the people that answer the phone. Yeah. How many of the 287 employees that we said know anything about horses? As far as grew up? With it, or you, when when you get when you go to AQHA, you live in Amarillo, and you say, "I want to work here," mm-hmm. is the first question. Have you ever done anything with horses? The radio listeners—they're both smiling really big right now. For some <laughs> or does it, does it not matter? It's just like this is your job. This is what you, I'm just interested. I can tell you that within town, I'm asked if I work at Aqua. Aqua, oh yeah, Aqua. Aqua. Uh-huh. Okay. So, <laughs> there is a lot of ranch knowledge in Amarillo, though. Well, yeah, it's Texas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd respond to that and say <laughs> that... I'm dumb. I, that was my dumb question. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think it's dumb at all. I, I think you raise a good point. And I think, I, I think the point is um, to be an expert in an industry, right, sometimes it's better to have lived it. 
right? When you throw a leg over a pleasure horse and understand what a pleasure class is. Or when I call you and say, I really need these transferred because I would love to show my horse this weekend. Correct. I would love for a person to have Correct. been in that same spot and say, exactly I'm going right. to do it right now. Here's an email yep. copy. Yep. And so what we haven't done, right, rightly so, um, to your point is for people who don't have that background, educate them on the passion behind our members and what we do, right? And then taking the opportunity to educate them about the horse itself um, and why people choose the lifestyle they choose, which means oftentimes being a member of AQHA. I think that may be the missing link in customer service. Yep. If just from the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I mean, imagine, right, talking to somebody about a showmanship class who doesn't know what a showmanship class is. Sure. Right, That that's a, that's a challenge in and of itself. Okay, so I really want to do this. Okay. Just for fun. I want you to run some numbers for me. Okay. Like, hit me with some demographics by the QHA. We'll have a bunch. Yeah, but I'm interested in this. Like, I don't know. This is terrible to say. I've shown AQHA my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And except for when I was uh, um, on the executive board as a youth kid, and I got to visit all that stuff and do all that stuff, which was awesome, by the way, and I got to do the racing experience. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I don't really know, like, numbers. Like World, budget number? Yeah, like like okay. what costs what? Like where's where's the majority of revenue come from? Where does the majority of money go? Where does like do you mind sharing those with us? Of course, yeah, it's all public. We're happy to do that. So just run run us some stuff. Okay. So, How does AQHA work as a business? Yeah. Break it down. Yeah, yeah break it down for us. So uh, majority. So let's talk about AQHA itself. Yeah. The entity AQHA, not the entity that is Arc, which is the trophy company. Okay. Um, are they combined? They are can not. You, can you explain that to us, too? Doesn't AQHA own different businesses? We do. So, yes. So the answer to that question is yes, absolutely. A year ago, we would have talked about three businesses. Um, this year, we merged what was um, a standalone entity called Robin Glenn Pedigrees into the AQHA itself. Um, so Robin Glenn Pedigrees, as a standalone independent entity with its own taxpayer ID number, um, no longer exists. It is all now one in, into AQHA. So there's two businesses, um, right? The Trophy Company, which is a for-profit entity that is owned by AQHA, a 501c5. Sidebar on this. I'm super upset that the youth world buckles on a black ring around them. It makes me insane. <laughs> like the new buckles, they don't, th that is That's the timeless. I'm like, it makes me, it puts me in a tailspin. <laughs> Can we not fix that? Maybe, like, but not right now. No, like right now. <laughs> fix it. Okay, so does ARC do trophies for other events other than AQHA events? They do. So it's a profitable company. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Then makes Youth World buckled without black rings around. She's hostile. Moving Duly, on. Duly noted. Justin black, just wrote that down. He made a note. Rings. He's going to fix it tomorrow. <laughs> that was the goal when we were kids, Justin, was to win a buckle with black ring around it. That was a big thing. Maybe the kids stay. How about we talk about the evolution? Maybe the kids they don't care about that ring. We need to preserve history. Thank you. It's tradition. Respect. Whoa. Thank you. I was just. Thank schooled. you. Yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Carry on. Arc. Um, Arc. So yes, trophy company. So our, the majority of the so, and, and I should say too, right? There's the foundation, right? A five hundred one c three. Oh, that means it's okay. a charity. It's a, it's a not for profit, fully tax exempt entity. Five hundred one c five. 
right, which is what the association is, is is a tax-exempt agricultural and livestock organization. Yeah, I donated money to research, I think. Isn't that one of the options you get? Research, teaching. On the foundation side. Yeah. That's yes. exactly right. Yes. She's not just a pretty face, guys. She's pretty smart. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. So the majority of our revenue um, comes from transactions and membership. No doubt about that. Um, $40 million annual budget um, on the operating side of AQHA. So it, it, just to say it in layman's terms, it costs $40 million a year to run AQHA. Yes. Okay. That is exactly correct. Revenue and expense. Manpower mostly, probably. Yes. The biggest piece of our outflow, absolutely, is manpower. Yep. That's exactly correct. Um, so so I have a question about that, too. So yeah. if you re-engineer the whole infrastructure... You cut out a lot of stuff with electronic transfers. Can you reduce some of that manpower? Of course. Theoretically? Yeah, of course. And it's not really about um, yes. I mean, of course, the answer to the question is yes. I'm not sure that we do a great job. Well, I know we don't, right, in every line of business. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've taken steps to do that already, and we've automated some things internally. Um, some great pieces of that are... Um, you know, data entry is an example, right? We no longer do our own data entry. And um, those staff members versus being reduced were deployed in other departments, right? Answer the phone, process transactions, right? Whatever those other things may be that really needed some benefit um, is how we've approached it thus far. But yes, there's absolutely savings in gaining efficiency. But at least you can cap the expense. It's not going to get greater. Correct. You can just redisperse that. So your, so your greatest expense is people. Yep. What's your next biggest expense? Uh, events, right? Horse shows, travel, that kind of thing. I will say, over the last couple of years, we have heavily invested in technology. Um, and so that has been a significant right, outflow of resources um, for us for a number of years. So I'm, I'm not saying that so I can understand it. So. What's outflow resources mean? Like you spent a lot of money on that? Cash. That's correct. Gotcha. Yep. That's exactly right. Which doesn't help you at all on tax benefits because you don't pay taxes anyway. We do pay tax. I thought you didn't pay tax. The 501c5 is subject to tax, including property tax. The 501c3, which is the foundation, is not. Gotcha. Does AQHA own headquarters currently? Yes. So that land was donated by the city of Amarillo both for the museum and the foundation, as well as AQHA headquarters. Um, but all of the improvements, including the buildings um, and all the assets there within, are all owned by AQHA. So assuming you move, what happens to the museum? What happens to that Just land? Just we'll stay there. But, yeah, so there's not a... There's no, at this point, study being done, right, about what happens to the assets in Amarillo. First, you've got to get one step done. Correct. And then once you go, okay, this is an option, then you do with the rest. That's right. Huh. That's do you, complex. Do you make money or lose money on the world shows? We, we don't make money. If you look at the activities across the show department, which, you know, Justin talked earlier about show approvals, show processing results, drug fees, the world shows, um, and you add in, right, the the overall um, true burden cost, which includes, right, to Sarah's point, um, one of our highest costs, which is salaries and benefits, um, 
you do not make money on the rogues house. Okay. And Justin, since you're always sitting up there with the judges, what's your... I'm just, you're sitting up there with the announcers, is what I really meant to say, not the judges. What's your favorite thing about the world show in your new position? I love what you said, is that you're always gunning for that world championship, that title, that that iconic AQHA world championship globe, and what that stands for and what that means to people. It was a dream of mine growing up to be an have AQHA you ever won world it? champion. I have, yes ma'am. What was the horse? It was the bay horse, right? It was horsemanship. What was his name? Doc's Poco Set. Yes. That's a flashback from the past. Yeah, you were one of the one of the horsemanship boys. <laughs> but no boys did horsemanship. Yes. It's the boys against the girls. It was. <laughs> boys always won if they could compete. Because hey. there was only like three of them. So you just remembered it real easy. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your least favorite thing about it? In think, your new position. I think what you said, it hurts to hear that the prestige is not there like it once was. Oh, I think it's still there. I think it's still there. there. But I didn't mean to interrupt you, sorry. That, that's the worst part. No, it, it hurts to hear that because you want it to be that special show that everyone looks for. Sure. It is for me. It's yeah. not, it's still a big deal. It's just that I don't know that by the end of the worst show, everyone's happy they went. Sure, it's tough because it follows a month-long event here in Columbus. So we're all here together yeah. for a month. The horses are tired. The people are tired. And then we say, okay, take a week off and then come join us for three and a half weeks in Oklahoma City. Sure. So it's tough to follow. It's hard. Yeah, like my horse shows maybe the first two or three days in the trail. And then I show the amateur pleasure like the very last week. Yeah. We're there the whole time. Mm -hmm. Which is no one's fault. It's the challenge for me is not to gain 20 pounds. In the <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many times you can ride four horses. Nothing else to do besides eat and drink. I mean, you look at me like, what are we going to do? Well, let's go to lunch. Okay, great. That's what it's I always... It's 3 o'clock. Well, we're done. What do you want to do? People say they love about the World Show is it's way more relaxed than here. If you want to go watch your friend's show, you can totally do that. Oh, there's, there's good thing. What I love about it and what I miss about the youth world today, and you'll understand this, Justin, because we're of the same... Or, I mean, all the prelims were in the beginning of the youth world. All the finals were in the end. Mm -hmm. So that meant that I got to meet all the ropers and the rainers and the yada, yada, yada. So this is kind of cool. I went out to the, um, the Run for a Million out in Vegas. And I went there with Ann Edmonius because so she was up in this area where you had to walk like through the bar to kind of get there. And then it was all over with. Everybody ended up there. So I don't really know a whole lot of rainers, but I went in there. And there was so many people I saw that I really haven't seen since I was like a youth kid. During youth kid days, they were like, Katie Joe, And I was like, oh, my gosh. Cool. Like just people. But had it not been for that. Like, I really became really good friends with the Ropers and the Rainers because of the youth world. Mm -hmm. And we, and so had it not been for that, I feel, I don't know, I feel bad, it's the wrong word, but it's like, in giving people what they want, you're also not forcing them to experience some really cool things like yeah. that. Camaraderie sure. is important, and yeah, it's cool. Yeah, like, now get... everybody's all about the in and out and the turnover. Sure, yeah, and a group-like discipline. Right? And... and, like, that being said, like... Our youth kids don't have a chance to meet all the ropers and the rainers because they just don't really coexist. And I don't know, I mean, I kind of kind of bummed about that. And by the same token, what started my whole Western Pleasure thing on Facebook was I left the world show and it was the finals or something that was kind of during the same time as the reading. It was a, I don't know what it was. But we were out there riding and there were some pleasure horses doing some really weird stuff. And I saw all the rainer people like looking at us and kind of scratching their head and I was like, I don't know what they're doing either, man. Like, I didn't know. And so then you get on Facebook, you know, and after 
this horse show, and you're like, man, I'm not saying the internet's right, but they have a valid point. Sure. Well, it's just hard to watch athletic events where a horse is actually doing something like chasing a cow or stopping. I mean, it's totally different. It's like comparing football to ballet. Like, we're for sure the ballet of it, which I believe in my soul is more difficult. Like, the level of difficulty is at its highest for us done right. And that also means it's the most disciplined for both horse and rider. Like, we're judged every step. Sure. But, we're, but sometimes we get out there to the world show and we all mix together and I'm like, man, I just... Like, I like that I have a chance to go to the world show and I can watch the, the working cow horse and I can go to the cool bar in town and sit down with... Corey Cushing. Yeah, yeah. you know, who I, who I love. Who um, doesn't? <laughs> Or Casey Deary, right. or uh, what's my other buddy, Matt Mills, mm-hmm. you know, and like we hang out. And what I love about the world show is, except for that, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Well, my question is, is AQHA aware that people are saying this stuff about what we do? For sure. And if that's the case, what are we doing to reform public, public education? How do we tell these people what we're supposed to be doing? instead of ridiculing the people that are doing things improperly. I think absolutely. And you see the example at the world shows. You say the pleasure horses look great when they're competing at the AQHA venue, and then maybe not so great elsewhere. So I think the standard is set at the world shows, and we have to do a better job of following through once we leave that show. I think it's an implementation thing. Like, this is the standard, mm-hmm. and there just needs to be more public education. I still, I, I, I'm beating this to death, but the first three horses are not the problem. It's third or fourth place horse to sixth or seventh we have to address. And I mean, I'm not a judge, but I've done judging seminars. Um, and every time I watch the video, we pick like... The top three are easy. Like six or seven really nice horses right. from World Show videos. Right. And I'm like, well, clearly Vino wins. Okay, and you know, I mean, you know, those the, those horses are not the problem. And basically, if you took Vital Signs and Vino and for one night only, and just name four or five other really good ones, that's your obvious top five. No matter what order you put those in, no one's going to complain. Let's go over there. Let's talk about the next five, because I think the next five and the five below it need to switch. Hmm. In, in in my opinion, until the until the gate that the average horse does translate into the horsemanship and the western riding and the trail, never gonna, well, this, we're he, never going to be. He already explained this in the order in which judging is supposed to happen, correct? Yeah, and I realize that you're also not in charge of judging, so this is a little bit out of your realm of... But hey, we're enthusiasts too. So sure. Be correct, then you add quality, and then to degree of difficulty last. But that needs to be reinforced, I think, a little bit more. I think that people are pressing the degree of difficulty... And using it as an excuse, because the truth of the matter is, it's easier to put your horse in a trap, and and strap your select lady up there with a whole bunch of money and keep her safe. I get that, but it's also impossible if it's incorrect to go change a lead or do something else. That trail was the largest class at the select world. Right. Right. Like, there's a little bit of balance to that. But if they're not correct, they can't go on and do other things, which is what the class is for. It's a foundation event. Right. What I don't like is we go to Venice. And there's a lot of all-around people at that horse show and stuff, you know. And it's a huge horse show, and I can't we can't get them to show in our Western pleasure classes because they don't want to mess up 
They're all around stuff. Well, isn't that exactly the opposite of what the purpose <laughs> of our class is? Like, when they say that, I'm like, can I get a microphone? A megaphone. You want a megaphone? I can only Mr. imagine. Mr. or Mrs. All-Around Person, can you please tell me why you won't show the Western Pleasure? Well, I won't show the Western Pleasure because I have to go so slow and jack my horse down so much that it's going to mess up my Western riding. Wow. Here's your sign. Mm -hmm. We've taken ourselves right out of the main. Like, every time, and it's, they all say it. So, I don't know. Well, this isn't, this isn't. Probably out of their area. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're just we're having AQHA. Their area of influence. <laughs> and we're all based in the Western Pleasure, so it's an That's easy right. conversation to have. What, uh, what else? Okay, so we talked about the goals a little bit. Is modernization basically it? I think member experience. I, I think we have to redefine who we are right, as an organization and how we enhance by being a member of, of AQHA. Do you think the future is bright? Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? So, so there's been a lot of hard work, right? I, I don't think anybody at AQHA right, steers away from hard work, which I think is good. Uh, I appreciate, um, you know, all of us growing up in the horse industry and having the 4 a.m. rides and still being up at midnight, right? That's a, that's a great work ethic to, to bring to the professional table. I, what I will say is... Um, yes, there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't really see it as a tunnel, right? I see it as we have great opportunities to make incremental differences every day that allow us, right, to progress to where we want to be. I, I don't think you ever arrive. I don't think you should ever think of it as arriving, right? Because even when you're great, right, tomorrow you can even be greater. Oh, you're such an A-type personality, always yes. striving for more. <laughs> And you both, when you signed up for this, um, I'm sure immediately identified some problems. That's just what you do when you... Of course. Um, do you feel like you're over the hump or in the middle of the canyon? Over the canyon or in the middle of the canyon, I guess I should have said. Good question. I think it depends on what it is. Oh, so some things you think you feel really confident about and other things you're less confident Correct. About. I think we've acknowledged that there's an issue that needs corrected. I think that's an important step. Yeah. And I think we're um, working towards running the association more like a business and being better stewards of the members' money. So I think now we're um, holding ourselves more accountable where we have metrics that we have to live up to, KPIs. Sure. So we're, we're running more uh, more like a business so than when I started a couple of years ago. Which is smart and obvious. Less shooting in the dark. Less shooting in the dark. We've got a target now that we can see. Yeah, I think more clear direction internally has helped. So objective. You're both very goal-oriented. You have been forever. So I would think that probably what you both did was get in there and spearhead and say, okay, where are we going? But isn't it kind of cool to get, like, tangible goals and say, okay, we can do this. We did this. Now let's do the next thing. Do you and feel then like you've done going? them is kind of the premise of my question. I think he says that he's done some but not all. Yeah, I, I don't – I think – so, you know, we talk about – right? we talk about a four-minute hold time. Right. Say that again. We talk about a four-minute hold time. Right. right? And, and we talk about a 10-day turn. But what if it could be a two-minute hold time and a five-day turn? Always striving for more. Right. Why? Don't get me wrong. Right. I think we've defined a set of key performance indicators and goals that will drive us to a different place. And I think will drive us to a different member experience. Does that mean 
right, we've, we've gotten there, and I think the answer is no. Do you know how many registered AQHA horses there are? Six million. Right, really? Right, right under six million. How many members? 214,000. Ask more questions, I like this. Those are my main. How many transfers do you do a year? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, about seventy-nine thousand. And registrations? Just under a hundred thousand. And it ebbs, that, does it ebb and flow with the economy too? It does. You can look at a chart and see. So right now you're probably doing a lot better anyway, because of the economy. What we're doing, it's unbelievable, as far as the selling horses and stuff, and. It's all directly related to the economy. There I mean, might be a pickup in transfers, but a lag in registration until next year, maybe. So, so that is very true, right? When horses sell for a lot of money, people breed more, right? But you don't get the registration until the year after. That's right? what I'm saying. That's so in the next fiscal year, common. you'll see that pickup. I think when you talk about are we doing well, um, I think the industry, from the economic perspective, is doing very well. Are we are we reaping the benefit of that? I think the answer right now to that is no, and and the reason I say that um, is purely from um, the opportunity that we have to innovate how we do business. That's smart. Yeah. I think when you do business and ninety seven percent of that business is on paper, it's really difficult to take right economic advantage um, just because your overhead is so high. That makes sense. And yeah. so inefficient. Right. I mean, for us, right, to be quite frank about it, the more registrations that come in that are on paper just mean more labor. Right. right. We, we haven't changed, right, the way we do business such that a registration that comes in, right, right. can be easily processed and it doesn't affect labor. So is there a giant room of records? Or, oh, yeah, this is a good question. Or have they been scanned? Have they been digitized? Where is this? not that long ago. You guys have, like, a giant building full of files? Did it look like a terrible law firm with, like, <laughs> boxes and briefs could, everywhere? You could pull out a drawer and there would be cards after cards. Seriously? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what's really... I think what people forget about AQHA, right, is that we receive so much mail, we have our own zip code. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> 1800 quarter horse drive. 1600. Yeah. yeah, so think about that. Think about <laughs> so many pieces of mail right, coming to that location that we have our own zip code. Fort Worth's going to hate you for that. <laughs> right? So, so then you think about the You're staff make that better. Yeah. Right, that has to, to, to get the mail to open all those envelopes. Put it in the right department. Right? Sort all of that. Right? It's all. So, so before, <laughs> right, before we did the merge of member experience department, it took, right, six different people to process a transaction. What? Six different people had to touch it. To How? Get it done. Why? From opening to depositing a check, right, to scanning, oh, dear. To, oh, yeah. to data entry, to actually somebody <laughs> looking at it, to quality assurance, right? Oh, dear. Now, right, that piece in the front... Right, it's much more streamlined, and then once once one person looks at it, they own it until the end. That makes a lot of sense. That was a great explanation. Yeah. All right. Anything else? And to relate that to shows, right now you you send in a paper application for your show approval. You run your event. You have your results. You then have ten days to send in 
your official results to the association. We then get a box from a show secretary. Stop. Of cards? Of cards. Because <gasps> they're already on a computer database at the horse Can't they just they have can't an just... iPad and just sign them? And... My point is exactly. that we process it in 10 days. So you're looking at, by the time you build in weekends, 30 days from the time you show until your points yeah. are in the system. And then you wonder if you're qualified for the World Show or not. Were there really 10 in there? Or maybe so there were 9. Today's technology, where you can order from Amazon and have it that afternoon, why don't we have an opportunity for our exhibitors to enter a horse show from their phone, check out, and then those results may be made official when the class is over. Or have the card, the card just they upload. Have a program that computes, that's the right word, with show management's program, and when they're done, they just get click. Done. Okay, why can't they just have the cards upload to the system? Ding. In the system. Yeah, done. I think when you think about all of those opportunities, Right, to innovate the way we do business, it can be a little overwhelming. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think Justin's right. You know, any any number of things to do on the show side, right? You know, we were joking about this, and, and while I think it is a a nice accomplishment, where right for the first time, you know, world show packets were able to be emailed versus mailed, I also think that it's 2019. And I think that there should be a way when you become qualified, right? You should get an email or a text message from us, and we're, we know what you're qualified in, and we know what horse you're qualified on. That's and a great idea. Why, Click here to enter. Right. Why is it a 45 right minute process to fill out a piece of paper? And then you still have to print them out, fill them out, scan them, upload right. them, and hope to God that they got them. I, I think so. I, I think we and we talk about this a lot internally. We've failed to use the data that we already have to lessen the burden that we placed on numbers, right? So, you know, you... And yourselves. Correct. And you even think about a stallion breeding report. Which costs money. Yeah. Yeah. Think about a stallion breeding report, right? We, we have DNA on the stud, and we have DNA on the mare. So why aren't we giving you, right, a one-click pre-populated registration certificate where all you really have to tell us is the date and the color. I think that I goes back to the theme. <laughs> <laughs> That's my point though. By I George? Mean, a homozygous bay and a homozygous bay are not going to have a palomino. Right? They don't say. You, no, right? It's crazy, right? But we have all of that data, right? but yet we print you a form that you have to fill out every piece of every piece of that. Right. What, what I'm hearing is this is all circling back to the theme you started with. Instead of the customer coming to AQHA to do business, right. Right. AQHA yeah. should go to the customer to do business. Full service. Look at you. But it doesn't Absolutely. mean right, that the person who still wants paper can't have paper. Right. Right. It just means let's use the assets we have right, and let's provide people a different experience it's that they want. It's good to see AQHA taking ownership over customer experience. Yeah. We have to take on our fifth. Yes. Yes. Very good. And stay approachable. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, you know, I think we were talking earlier, too, about the loyalty of our members, right, and people who are just passionate. And I think, right, when you think about how loyal and passionate they are about the industry, right, we, we just have to continue to facilitate that. That's our best asset. That's absolutely right. Is the loyalty of an AQHA member is unsurpassed. I mean, we have a great membership that cares about what the association means, 
what it stands for, what a horse can do for you and your family. So without a doubt, that is that is something we should never take for granted. All right, so all you out there, um, if you see Justin Billings or you see Aaron Bobos, you have any thoughts? Um, I'm sure they'd love to hear them. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I know I personally feel um, really good about both of you, not just because I've known you forever, but I just, you're both really good people with really good intentions and you're really smart. And you know, really, we'll follow anybody if they lead us in the right direction. It's a nice feeling. I just feel like it's a shared commitment to the success of the sport and the breed, and that's nice to know. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, very yeah. much. Sammy. I appreciate that. You lead us and we'll follow. But um, let's listen. Right. Right, and let's have productive conversations along yes. the way. Exactly. Perfect. Boom. Nailed it. Thanks, guys. All in this together. That. That right there. That's what people need to know. That's it. And feel. Truly are. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You Thank Thank you. you.